Welcome to the First Baptist Church podcast. We're excited to share this weekend's conversation with you from Pastor Jerry Hendricks. If you would like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or go to fbcsweetwater.org. Building puzzles, putting puzzles together, like real complicated puzzles. Uh, Some people get into that. For a while in our house, we had a puzzle-making venture. Usually we did it around Christmas time. Sharon had started buying uh, a large puzzle, you know, a thousand pieces or more. And at Christmas time, we would get out that puzzle. And because you had an extended period of time, we had a table that we would set up and we would start on the, the puzzle together as a family. I've noticed things about puzzle makers or puzzle builders is that there's, I think there's about at least four types of puzzle builders. Uh, There's those people who get out the puzzle and they know that the first rule is to find all the corners. So they sift through all the little pieces and they find the corners and then they know the second step is to get the straight line pieces. And so they grab all of those and they start to put them together with the corner pieces and they continue to look at the cover of the box. And and looking at that box, it's like, if if I look at the box long enough, I can find the pieces and I can just snap them in place and progress through the puzzle. But that puzzle builder is the kind of puzzle builder that when, when they're through, when they're ready to abandon the project, all you have are four corners and some straight lines. Another puzzle builder is the puzzle builder that works on it systematically or periodically. I think the reason it attracted our family was during Christmas, we set it up in a table in the living room, I guess sometimes on the floor with a, on a top of a poster board. And so periodically we would come by and everyone would contribute and, and build part of the puzzle. And, and maybe we finished the puzzle, maybe we not, but the finishing the puzzle was not really relevant to the process. I'm not saying it was a time waster, but it was a time that we would spend, you know, discretionary time, you know, between Hallmark movies and things like that. This is the kind of builder we were. And so most, most of the time we would finish the puzzles. But we didn't know what to do with the puzzle after we finished. Here comes the third puzzle builder. That puzzle builder is the kind of person who has to finish the puzzle. They, they have to see the puzzle pieces all in place so that it looks just like the cover of the box. And when they finish, they cannot bring it upon themselves to take the puzzle apart. They don't know what to do with it. So now you've got this two-foot by three-foot puzzle. It's all been put together in this box, and it's flimsy. You you don't know quite what to do with it. And so, at least this is what happens at our house on a successful build. It slides nicely underneath the bed. Sharon, how many puzzles are underneath our bed? Five? I need to look under the bed more often. I knew there were at least two. I hadn't planned on asking her that. The fourth kind of puzzle builder is one that I simply do not understand. That puzzle builder takes the puzzle. They put the puzzle puzzle together. And then when the puzzle is finished, they take it apart and put it back in the box. And here's their intent, okay? Their intention is to put the puzzle together again. And then put it back in the box. And they may not do that with the same puzzle, but that's their nature. Now, 
I'm talking about puzzle building today because I believe there are some similarities from puzzle building to living 360. That when we look at the scripture and we see the story of Jesus as he begins to bring along those that are going to follow him. And when I say follow him, I mean they're going to go with him all the way. We see these different natures start to emerge. And last week, and we talked about this, and in this series, I believe, uh, I was sharing with, uh, with someone this morning that this is a different series than any we've ever done, where really all four parts of this series are going to be important to the building blocks of this idea. For us to get, to get the real picture of what discipleship is about. And so you may want to go back and listen to the overview last week on YouTube or on our podcast so that you capture sort of the heart of what this looks like. Because over these next three Sundays, we're going to talk about each one of these areas and only deal with one at a time. So if you only catch today's, you may not understand what we were talking about unless you have a concept of the overview from last week. But the puzzle builders in the 360 life are, are those who are followers. When, when you look at the New Testament and Jesus begins to emerge into the world as an adult, he goes to a wedding and he performs a miracle. And guess what? People were amazed. He turned water into wine at the end of the wedding party. And they were amazed by that. Uh, you might even say they were intrigued by this person who was able to do this. And so he began to capture an audience. And then as you progress with Jesus, what you find is, is that every time that we have an appearance of Jesus among people, there are followers who are there. In Living 360, there are some people who are followers of Christ. But here's the catch. In the progress of discipleship, followers oftentimes never take the next step. They never see the puzzle come together in their life. They never see the full picture of what it's supposed to look like or feel like. The next step for a follower, for the context of, of this series, is a disciple. You see, there came a time in Jesus' ministry when he took these followers, these masses of people would follow him sometimes, and he would, he would teach, sometimes on a hillside, sometimes in a, in a small setting. Sometimes he would use a teachable moment like his experience with a child or his experience with someone else in a, in a conversation that he had. But we always see these people on the fringes, and as he progresses in his ministry in life towards the cross which we know is a defining moment of faith, you see fewer and fewer people who are actually his disciples. You see, a disciple moves through life with some intent. They can't be content with merely finding themselves and their life on the fringes. There's, they know and begin to understand that there's more to this experience in knowing and understanding Jesus. And they submit themselves to a process of learning. We call that becoming a disciple. Now, we know in Scripture that there were those 12 that Jesus called. And they're specifically called in Scripture disciples. And you see, when you zoom in on their life with Jesus and their experience... You can see some of the differences in the way that things panned out. 
For instance, he may spend time with his followers, with his disciples among them, and he would, he would teach. But then he would have those moments later when he was with his disciples. And when he was with his disciples, he would explain. His hope was that that would begin to make sense, that the picture would become clearer. Because what he knew that they did not know yet is that one day they would be entrusted with the message. They would be the ones who would carry everything that Jesus came here to demonstrate. They would be the ones who would carry that forward. And when we see that experience... The picture that we see and the person that we see in this living 360 is the person who becomes a disciple maker. So what we're going to do this morning is talk for a little bit about what it it means to be a follower. Because the hope is, is that we would begin to distinguish in our own life kind of where we are in this process. And if not us, then at least maybe others that we know that we might become disciple-makers too. So as we walk through this process, today we talk about followers, next week disciples, and the last week disciple-makers. And you got it, it comes full circle. So let's read this morning this text. And in this text, we're going to be introduced to what I believe represents a follower. Now, following Christ starts somewhere. Now, you might, if you retrace your spiritual history, if you're a believer today, then you may not can trace it back to when it all started because you might have started in church when you were in the cradle. That's all you remember is that you've never not known anything but church on a Sunday. Some of you are smiling. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of that's your experience. So in Luke chapter 9, we see this picture begin to emerge of these followers. It says in verse 57 that as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, that's Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' reply to him was, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said, that's Jesus, he initiated this other conversation and he said to another man, follow me. Sound familiar? That's the same words that we hear when he called those who became his disciples. Uh, But this man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. In other words, I'd really like to, but I've got some things to take care of. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, and, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still, there's another who said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Which makes me believe that maybe all of these were not in the same context because he didn't hear the rebuttal from the previous guy. Still another said, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Now, when we read this, and the wheels start turning in in the mind of, of, of our experience, what we might say is that Jesus was a bit harsh here. 
But I think what we need to understand is that Jesus is simply defining your relationship to him and distinguishing the difference between one who wants to follow Jesus and one who really wants to become a disciple of Jesus. And I've shared with you some of, you know, I, I, in my, my hobby is thinking, I suppose. I think about a lot of things and I just get preoccupied with things. And one of the words that has emerged in Christian faith over the last couple of generations in a person describing their faith is, I'm a Christ follower. And I've shared with you, I never, have, I never was comfortable with that term and I, I kind of understood it. It didn't stand out. You know, in a, in a crowd, it didn't stand out quite like saying you're a Christian or you're a believer. And it, and it identified who were you had attached your faith life to. And I get that. And I get that it's, it's intended to be sort of a soft sell. But in principle, I disagree with that because I don't think that we want to admit that we're only followers. I'd rather say that I am a disciple of Jesus. I'd rather be a disciple of Christ. I want to become a disciple maker. I think that is the process that Christ intended for us. And it's the one that he demonstrates in his relationship with his disciples. So he clarifies for them. In some small ways what it might mean for them to really become more than simply a follower of Jesus. Now as we think about this. We do understand that there is that starting point of this relationship with Christ. And we initiate the following process. And there's times through that process where we, we may have these urges as demonstrated in this text. Where we want to become more than simply a follower. It's a defining moment. It's an experience that we have. There's something about that, that walk of faith that we have that begins to distinguish itself in a different way. I believe that churches are full of people who never intend to be anything more than a follower of Jesus. I think there are people throughout the world that are attracted to faith in Christ that sort of enjoy the message... They enjoy the amazement and the story of Jesus in certain seasons, the pageantry and the specialness of that occasion. And so they wrap their life up religiously, their faith life, simply around the process of following. And I'm not just talking about people who come only on Easter and Christmas. I'm talking about people who come and experience Christ but never submit themselves to an experience of learning, to deepening their faith. Followers seem to have this process where they, they follow without any consideration of where this might lead. And it may be that they just don't, they follow without any care for where it might lead. And they never come to that place where they count the cost. Now, possibly when you looked in your text, the heading for that section of Scripture said the cost of discipleship. One of the things that I've become more aware of over the last couple of weeks is that, that the, the feeling and sense of the cost of discipleship varies for us. When we talk about our, our parents and grandparents, when we jump farther back into our ancestral history, we understand that cost varied. It varied based on location maybe. But if you were a part of a faith life in another country, you might have been ostracized by your family. 
And so we know that even in today's culture, there are some extreme costs, some high costs for, for declaring your faith in Christ, high costs for becoming a disciple. But I want to suggest that there's the possibility that in our world, we make it rather easy that we soft-sell this experience. And in doing that, we, we create an atmosphere, or we can in churches, where we amass a, a group, a wide group of followers, but not many disciples. The thing about a follower is, they may or may not be a believer. They may or may not be a Christian. They just are intrigued by the process. They enjoy being a part of it. They can't imagine the, Jesus doing something nearby and them not being a part. So they're kind of, they live life, literally, maybe, on the fringes. Because they don't want to miss out. A follower tends to be amazed and intrigued. But here's the difference. They're not invested. They never invest more of their life into the process. And the investment, in, in any kind of way that you're going to look at investment, we understand that an investment has a degree of sacrifice on our part. And so you may say, I've inv I invest my Sunday mornings. So that's a one-hour investment to come and to worship together. That investment may still only reflect a following faith. Unless you're immersing yourself in a process to go deeper and deeper and deeper into this relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. So the cost that we look at today is, I believe, is wrapped around this idea of the investment that we're willing to make in the process of growing spiritually. And sometimes we don't want to take that step. It's a defining moment that either we've encountered and stepped back from, or we're afraid to get that close to it in the first place. I've thought, I've reflected on so many stories in my ministry of people who saw that next defining moment, who saw that opportunity for discipleship in their life, and they went the other way. They could not approach that line of relationship with Christ. A follower tends to be content where they are. They may get stirred up and emotional about something occasionally, but, but basically they live in a spirit of contentment about faith, not making the investment, so they live life on the fringe. And they never take responsibility for their own development of their faith life or, if you're a family, for the faith life of their children. I think this is where churches are full of children and students sometimes because families have only become followers at best. And they delegate the responsibility of faith life simply to the church. Now, we'll take that responsibility. That's a part of why we, we are so strategic in the, in the development of children and students in the life of our church. We, we take that responsibility to partner with families for the faith life development of your children. Don't expect we, you will get more from us than that. But you, as, unless you're a, and if you're only a follower, don't expect more of that from us. The, the best scenario, I believe a biblical scenario for that, is that we partner together for the faith development of the children in our life. We bear that responsibility. 
a follower, I've noticed, tends to be a person who becomes increasingly anonymous. They're really good at the shadows. They're not out of the picture. They emerge from the shadows at certain integral times for certain causes or for certain things. But oftentimes, they prefer a life of anonymity in the faith life. They're afraid to hang around staff people because staff people might ask them to do something. And if they ask them to do something, they don't want to say no, but they'll retreat to the shadows. You may be uncomfortable with this this morning, but just consider it and walk with us through this process. They're happy being a part of the crowd. But when life with Jesus starts to become defined by more than just his hard lessons, followers tend not to just retreat or fade or hide in the shadows. They run. They run. As Jesus approaches the cross, let me back up. In John, I wrote that in your outline there. In John chapter 6, if you read those passages, Jesus has just gone through a period where he's done some teaching that makes people feel very uncomfortable. He starts talking about bread. And when you talk about bread, I realize the timing on this might not be really good. You start thinking about food, consumption. So he starts talking about bread, and, and they understand bread, and they understand the purpose of bread, that, a, that bread fills you. It plays a vital role in the dynamic of a meal. But then Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Okay, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you hear this person who you've been amazed and intrigued by, refer to himself as something that ought to be consumed, it's a little freaky. It's a little hard to handle. And so as they move back and Jesus is with his disciples, there seems to be, in, in the tone of Scripture, Jesus is a bit concerned. Because he said to his disciples, you're not going to leave me too, are you? I believe in, in my personal life, in my development in, in reading Scripture, for me personally, this is the most disheartening passage in the entire Scripture. The thought that Jesus had come to a place and he was ready to sacrifice his life knowing that there were people who were deserting him and he has to sit before those that he was closest to whom he had poured his life into and ask them this question. You're not going to leave me all you, are you? You're not going to leave me also, are you? And then the answer came to the front. And if there was ever a moment in a, in a ministry that you've been a part of, this was one of those moments. This was one of those memorable times when Peter said, to whom would we go? Where else are we going to go? That's the point. That's the exact point when you knew that these men that Jesus sat with were no longer merely followers. They were disciples of his. 
because they were willing to invest in whatever was going to be next for them, regardless of what the cost was. And yet we know, as the story develops, even with that, they struggled. And when the crucifixion began to take place, we find them in the shadows. That's just a demonstration of how difficult being a disciple of Jesus can be sometimes. Ultimately, a follower is a person who hasn't taken the next step. So let me ask you this. What do followers need? What is it that a follower of Christ needs? If you're here this morning and you think, I'm, and you admit to yourself and to, to, to God that you're not a disciple, that you're, you've merely been a follower, the question that you begin to ask yourself is, what is it do I need next? What is it that I need to move from this place to the next place? I think the thing that's most critical here is that they need, a follower needs, a disciple maker in their life. It's 360. And when we get to that place in two weeks where we talk about the importance of being a disciple maker and along the same way that Jesus' disciples became disciple makers, then we see our entrance into the process. So if you're here this morning and you think, I, you know, I'm not a follower. I've made this commitment. I've taken those steps. I have a development plan for my own life. I am a disciple. We ought to be aware as disciples that we become a disciple maker when we embrace a follower. It's living 360. It's the complete picture that comes in full view of our life and in the life of the church. Basically, a follower, in the simplest terms, just needs a path for maturity. Paul refers to these kinds of Christian or these kind of followers as infants. That infants can't do a lot of things on their own. They can't, they can't map out their, growth, their physical growth process. Someone has to invest in them so that they might progress in their life physically, mentally, emotionally. A follower is simply, in, in these kinds of terms, an infant that needs someone to help them to grow. They need a path. And we've created a conversation piece that would help guide that wherever you are on this process. We'll include it in our email again tomorrow, where if you've not downloaded that, you can get, the, get our email if we have your email address, or you can email the church at mail, M-A-I-L, at fbcsweetwater.org, and we'll send you a simple one-page document that has ten scripture texts on there for you to find someone. If you're a follower, you find a disciple, one that you've seen walking this walk, and say, could we meet together and talk about these verses week by week? Basically, this mentoring process, this discipling process, is one that we've demonstrated in the life of our deacon body. That's why in May, when we nominated them, we did not turn around and within a few weeks ordain them as deacons. We wanted them to spend time with people who were de- had been deeper into this faith life than they had. That's all that process was. They were disciples, but we wanted to prepare them and cast vision for them that they might not just remain disciples, but they would accept the role of becoming a disciple maker. 
So download that form. You can be a student and do that. You don't, have to, you don't have to be a certain place or a certain age. Download that form and look at those texts and begin to study those texts. It talks about different parts of our faith in this path of maturity. Today, let that picture in your life become crystal clear. If you don't see yourself there yet, Begin to let God paint that picture in your life where you might understand it more deeply. And if, you don't, if you're not there yet, come back next week or listen to, our, listen to our messages so that we can help you put those pieces together for yourself. God entrusted us with his plan to save the world. He did not entrust that to followers only. He could only entrust that to those who were willing to be disciples. And the question is, will we become a disciple?